0: I want you to to have your Bible in one hand. This is something that should be normal for you. Uh, Bible in one hand. There's a group of people in the New Testament that were known as the Bereans. And the Bereans were known for what? Does anybody know? Studying the Word of God for the purpose to make sure that what was being taught is true. And so this morning, I, I want you, this should be just a normal part. You just don't come here, absorb, and just say, oh, Paul said so, so therefore we do it. it your responsibility in this is interactive. You're, you're in the Word, too. You're seeing it with your eyes. You're wrestling through the text. And so I, I want you to have the Bible in one hand, but then also in your bulletin was this uh, two-sided. And not normally, normally I, I do not do uh, the nice little fill-in-the-blank kind of stuff. Um, I, I grew up in a church like that, and it kind of drove me up, you know, you know, usually it's some kind of acronym, you know, Jesus, and then you fill in the blank, J-E, you know, fill it out so you can have this kind of memory thing. But this morning, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, a topic that I think uh, probably 99% of us want to avoid. It's, it's called the Ministry of Correction. How many people here honestly love, just love conflict? Just love it. Okay, Heath, let's pray for Heath. Most of us, even in our friendships, our, our marriages, our, to one another within the church, we hate, we hate, correction, we hate conflict. And we run from it. We'll do whatever it takes to run from conflict. We, we avoid it at all costs. We hear there's a problem or they think this way. And what do we do? We go the other direction. And we, we just avoid it. But this morning, we're going to look at 1 Timothy, uh, starting uh, chapter 4, verse 16. So we're going to do a little bit of backup so that we understand what the context is. Uh, because context is king. And then we're going to read through uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Okay? And... Um, we're going to be talking about this morning about the ministry of correction. The ministry of correction. So, starting at verse uh, 5, verse 16. Paul is talking to the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, a young pastor a young pastor in the church in Ephesus. And he is Timothy is timid. He is scared. He would much rather run from conflict. He'd much rather just take the easy road. But there's some stuff that is going on in his church uh, that is dividing the church. It is creating tension. It is creating uh, this person is following this and they're doing it's a mess. And so Paul is telling these things to Timothy. Verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this. Persist in what? Keeping a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And just so you know, when Paul wrote the New Testament, he didn't put in little chapters. In little verses. So this is one flowing thought. So persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers. Older women like mothers. Younger women like sisters. In all purity. Paul is saying, listen. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Watch what you're teaching. Watch what you're saying. Because in doing so, you're saving yourself as well as your hearers. And so in doing this, in your watching yourself, and in your watching uh, how you teach and what you teach, be careful in how you correct. And in your correcting, in in your teaching, make sure that you do it in a certain kind of way. certain kind of way. Is it me again? I'm in a can. Um, So, if you know anything about boating, a lot of times they have these, your little north, south, east, and west, you know, you're out on your lake, out on your pond, out on your ocean, and you don't have the stars to guide you, so you have a compass to direct you north, south, and east, and west. If there's anything wrong with that compass, you are going to be pulled off course. And one degree of difference on your compass is going to do what? It, is, it, it has a potential of running you ashore. And Paul has already talked in First Timothy about those who have shipped wrecked their faith who have just totally their faith is now shipwrecked it is destroyed it is it's an absolute mess and paul is saying listen we got to be careful here about shipwrecking people's faith and so timothy you have a responsibility of correcting people and as i read this every everything inside me my skin crawls because like you I hate conflict. I hate conflict. But we've got to understand that correction is not just a nicety that we have. Correction is a necessity. Correction is an absolute necessity. Because if our lives veer off course and continue in a wrong direction, it affects our faith affects our view of god and so this morning here here is our our theme for the morning and this is your first fill in the blank the ministry of correction is essential in the family of god the ministry of correction is essential in the family of god it's absolutely essential if, if we are part of a community, whether it be your, minister, your, your missional community, your small group, your, your husband-wife relationship, your friendships, or within the greater church, our church, if we don't have a ministry of correction, it affects the health of the church. The ministry of correction is absolutely essential. It's essential, but it is never easy. It is never easy. And so this morning, as we walk through this, we're going to look at a a bunch of different uh, passages as well. We're going to jump into Galatians. We're going to look in Matthew uh, chapter 18. And you are going to see that you are not exempt in this ministry. You are not exempt from the ministry of correction as a fellow believer, as a brother and sister in Christ, you are to be involved in the ministry of correcting one another. So first we're going we're to do three things. First we're going to look at some hindrances. Then we're going to look at uh, some preliminary questions we have to ask ourselves. And then we're going to look at, actually, how do we employ this? How do we, what, What's our procedure for the ministry of correction? But first... Here are some hindrances. And the first hindrance, some barriers that we have for this ministry of correction is first and foremost, I believe, fear. We, we're chicken. We are absolutely scared to death. It's threatening to confront somebody who is out of line. And I'll be honest, I struggle and I get anxious when i have to go into correction mode and and I'll, i'll tell you some of the ways that it manifests itself in me the fear and anxiety if you can see my skin breaks out i will visit my chiropractor more often i will have sleepless nights anybody else you got your own little thing when you know that you 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 are called to correct somebody and I've got to have coffee with Heath and sit down with him and talk about an area of sin in his life. Oh, I don't sleep well at night. My back hurts. My wife will look at me and go, what is wrong with you? I go, what what, what do you mean? She goes, your face, you're breaking out. It's like my body just goes. There's fear that takes place. But how do we, so how do we overcome this fear? And I think the only thing that helps me is that I have got to have a greater fear of God than a fear of man. And realize that God will hold me accountable. And God will hold you accountable if I see somebody or you see somebody going astray and we refuse to warn them and correct them. I have got to have a healthy fear of God. And know that God is going to hold me accountable for the lives that that he's entrusted to me, and the relationships that he's entrusted to you. The same way, he's going to say, what did you do with this relationship? You saw this person going down a destructive pathway. It's the same kind of thing. Take, If you're a parent, and your kids are playing out in the street, a busy street, let's just take 30 or LaGrange, and your children are playing out in the street, and you have no clue where your children are, and your neighbor is out in the front yard going oh man, that is dangerous out there. it really shouldn't be out of there, but you know what I really don't want to correct him I'll give you an example from our family. we have a neighbor across the street uh, that Isaac loves to death he loves John and Alicia and There was a point where Isaac was playing out in the front yard and he decided to do what? He wanted to go see who? John and Alicia cross our street. Praise be to God, we've got a neighbor called Donna Windsor who grabbed that little boy as he was crossing the street and scared the living daylight. What are you doing? Where are you going? That's dangerous. Thank God for neighbors like that, but the same principle applies that we are we we shouldn't be scared that's not my responsibility or oh it makes me uncomfortable correcting people we are called to confront we must warn people we're called to warn people of of the dangerous ways their life is, is heading and if nothing else if for nothing else it absolves us of the responsibility by correcting somebody and approaching them in love, it absolves us, at least of the responsibility. You see, because sheep are valuable and precious to the shepherd. And if we love him, they must be valuable to us. And if you're going to be faithful in this ministry of correction, you are going to be accused of not being loving. Okay? And so some of you, your your fear even gets heightened because you just want to be that loving person. But the ministry of correction, you're going to be accused of not being loving. But love is not this syrupy, super sweet sentiment. It's not just gooey and soft and lovey and and open houses, and nice breakfasts, and niceties. Love is far deeper than that. Real love has the courage to confront someone who has gone astray. So that's the first thing. Our, our first thing that we, we've just got a, a hindrance to correction is we've got a, a true fear of what might be the outcome. The second one is this. A misunderstanding of matthew 7 verse 1 does anybody know matthew 7 verse 1 do not judge lest you be judged how many times have you heard that well i'm not going to judge that person because you know who am i to judge you know judge not lest you be judged but we take it out of context and and we kind of use it as our little safety thing our ejector seat out of, out of conflict. Oh, look at them. They're doing this. This is really wrong. They're gossiping. Well, pfft, I'm going to hit my button and shoot me out of this situation because I, I'm, I'm I don't want to be judged. I'm not going to judge because I don't want them to judge me. So, you know, fair is fair. And you eject yourself out of the situation. This is probably one of the most misapplied verses of the Bible. I've had conversations with people about this. And so, Jesus, if we look closely at this, just turn to your left. Look, look at Matthew. I'm sorry. Matt, yeah, Matthew 7. And look at the context of this. What is Jesus saying? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Right there, scary stuff. If you just read that verse, it's like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm backing out. I'm not going to do that. But look at three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? What is Jesus addressing? Yeah, he's addressing your own sin. So before you go and talk to your brother or your sister about pornography or lust or, or gossip, Let's make sure that that log that is in your eye, that huge thing that's coming out, before you address it in their eye, don't be hypocritical. Address, address first you. Address that log that's in your eye before you have a conversation. Because it's like coming up and just saying, hey, you've got a really tiny, minuscule uh, speck in your eye. Let me get that out for you. And the person's going to go, are you serious? Do you not see the log that's in your own eye? You're an idiot. Now my judgment on you is even greater. So Jesus is saying, he's not giving you the out and saying, don't don't judge people. Okay? There's still the ministry of correction that is going on. You hypocrite, verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus just put you right back into the seat. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to address it. There's also, if if you turn to Hebrews, if you have a little pew Bible, if, there, if this is really a few that you're sitting in, Hebrews chapter five. it's a uh, uh, thousand three, I think, in your yours. Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit, is is addressing apostasy or the falling away of people. And let me read, starting in verse 11, about this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you thought you, were, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The more that we are in the Word, the more equipped we are to be able to distinguish, ah, oh, that's that is sin, and I need to address it and I need to judge it appropriately. But We're still called to address correction and sin in people's life. The next one, three, there's an awareness of our own personal sins. You know, sometimes we're hesitant to correct other people because we know that we have sin in our own lives that needs to be cleaned up. Isn't that true? It's like, oh man, I, I should not go and correct this person about that issue in their life because you know what, I've got a lot of junk in my life, and if we keep that mentality, we're never going to do any kind of correction, and nobody's ever going to correct us. So we never say anything. And if that's the case, the obvious solution is this. Deal with your own sins. Deal with your sins. Deal with them. Confess them to the Lord, and turn from them. And it's those who are spiritual who are to help those who are caught in sin. Those who are spiritual are called to restore those who are caught in sin. And you see that in Galatians chapter 1. Paul clearly to this church in Galatians says, listen, you who are mature, you who are spiritual, you who are healthy, your responsibility is to restore people who are caught up in sin. There is no one in this church, no one in the United States, no one in the world, no one who has ever lived, who has lived a perfect life. Ever. But yet, we are called here to be in this ministry as fellow sinners who are redeemed by grace to point them back. But it requires us to be aware of our sins, confess our sins, repent, and turn. It also requires us to do that publicly. So when we fall as, as leaders and we fall as uh, as brothers and sisters, we confess it to one another. I say, you know what? I, I was an idiot. I, I was unfaithful to God. I was unfaithful to my wife. I was unfaithful to my friendship. I was unfaithful to God's Word. I was unfaithful to this. For that, I repent. And it gains you an audience. Because they see the gospel at work in your life. Another one. Four, another hindrance is absolute laziness. It's easier to not confront or correct somebody. It is just far easier. Always. Correction is always work and correction is always like it or not it's a hassle it is hard work it takes effort to arrange a time to get together so that you can deal with the issue it takes time to work through everybody's schedule and sit down but laziness is hardly a good excuse if a person is heading towards spiritual ruin love takes effort somewhere we got this idea that about this That love is spontaneous and effortless. But if love just flowed naturally, we wouldn't have to be commanded to do it so often. Love one another. Love one another. By this they will know. That when you love one another. Love, love, love. So it's this command that we're told to do. And and to obey, you have to confront your love of God self above others which is really where laziness comes from next one another hindrance is relative morality we live in a culture that believes there are no moral absolutes and that Tolerance is the chief virtue of all. The church has been tainted by this, as seen by Christians who uh, are permissive. Well, hey, if that, if that works for you, you, know I don't want to get into your personal life. I don't want to speak into your life. You know what? It, you know maybe I, I just feel strongly about this, and this is kind of my, my convictions. Well, God bless you in that. But you know, it, we, we're kind of tainted by this whole postmodern thing, where everything is permissible. Everything is permissible. And, and if you really you watch the, watch what goes on in the, the Christian world circles. Permissiveness is king. Tolerance is king. And what does that do to the Word of God? It denigrates it to just a great book. And it no longer has authority. It never speaks again. But if it's against God's Word, it's wrong for anyone. If it's going against God's Word, it is wrong for anyone. Period. Absolutely. God's Word is Our unchanging standard. Unchanging standard. If someone is violating God's word, his truth, then we have the responsibility to correct them in the proper way. Next one. Next hindrance. There's always this uncertainty as to whether or not to correct. And this is kind of the hardest area for me, okay? Because there's a saying that's been attributed to uh, St. Augustine. And St. Augustine was known for, in the essentials, there is unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. So in the essentials, the absolute essentials, there, there is absolute unity in the non-essentials those things that you know what they're not clear well then we've got to have what we, we, we've got to have permission but in those in all things that we've got to have charity we've got to have love and so for me it, it, the, this is a hard one is at, at what point do is this a judgment call? And this is absolutely sin and a doctrinal issue where this person is stepping outside of God's boundaries. And, and as, a, as a brother in Christ, as one who loves, I've got to bring them back and correct them. Is this a time where I need to do this? Or do I need to correct this? Or is this one of those areas of not, that are a non-essential and that there must be liberty? One of the areas that has divided the church is the, an issue of baptism. There's some real nastiness going on. For me, that is a non-essential issue. You can have some very strong feelings about a paedo-baptism, if in baptism, or believer baptism. You can believe strongly about that but and, and feel that Scripture is absolutely clear about this. But... Is this an essential to the faith? It probably informs the way that we work out things. But is this an, an issue, an area that I need to address? It, sometimes it feels uncertain. And sometimes, there, you'll run upon these people who kind of have their theological six-shooter with, with their, their verse... Or it's very, very quickly, it's like, I'm going to fix that one. I'm going to fix that one and just start firing off my, my well placed uh, verses here and there and correct you. But we've got, we, we have a fear is this really something that I should be addressing or not addressing? If you know someone who is engaging obviously in a sinful behavior, Romans talks about gossiping, being deceitful. Those are areas where we should have certainty. Promiscuous sexual behavior. Certainty. there's areas that are if if it's an area of major doctrinal importance then we must confront it so let's keep on moving so what are some some areas some guidelines for giving correction and some of these guidelines are first is my life an example is my life an example? In First uh, in Timothy 4.12, Paul says, Todd, Todd addressed this last week, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul says, listen, your life needs to be an example of godliness first and foremost. And from that foundation, he then appeals to older men and women as well as the younger people. He, he says, okay, from that foundation of godliness, how your life is, is lived out in the 24-7, that foundation, setting example of godliness, that is then how you approach older men and older women, younger men and younger women. Your life needs to be an example your life needs to be an example the second preliminary to correction is do I have an adequate relationship with the person in 1st Timothy Paul tells Timothy to kind of couch this ministry of correction in family like relationships treating the older men as fathers, the older women as mothers, the younger men as brothers, and the younger women as sisters. It's not always possible to have deep, deep relationships with people, even a church this size. And the bigger the church gets, the more difficult it is. However, as a rule, the most effective correction takes place when the other person knows from experience that you love them. That's why it makes it difficult for myself to do all the correction. You have deeper relationships in your missional communities than I can have with all those people. You have more coffee, dates and phone calls and all these other kinds of stuff with people and it's out of those loving deep family like relationships where correction needs to take place but that does not exempt a pastor or elder from correcting because ours is to have oversight of the church and if there's an area where I am concerned I will need address because i have a healthy fear of god to address an area of sin in a person's life but before you go into it even with a deep loving relation family-like relationship you must do you have the facts do you have the facts about all of this because christians once they kind of hear a little thing what do they do cast judgment and they go right for the jugular. You know what I'm talking about. Do you have the facts? Or is it all hearsay? Well, I heard from so-and-so. Who heard it from so-and-so? First, we need to address the ministry of correction towards gossip. Do you have the facts? Do you have the information? Proverbs 18, verse 13. Write this down. Proverbs Eighteen verse 13 says he who gives an answer before he hears is folly and shame to him so he, he first needs to be able to hear because if he acts prematurely he's viewed as the fool he's viewed as the fool so make sure that you always always have the facts of about it And that does not mean that you go on a uh, fact finding mission to every person that you can find because that's also gossip and causing division. Well, did you hear hey I'm just, i 'm just just out of christian love i 'm trying to get the facts. get to the bottom of this. So t- tell me what do you know? Oh my gosh it's like a, a child on the playground, like a little kid, really? oh. Well, that's not what I heard. And then you go and find somebody else until you get all the information. Gossip. Divisive. Degrading. The next one. The next one is, do you have right motives and objectives? Your motive should be to obey God by loving your neighbor. Your motive should be to obey God by loving your neighbor. It's Not just obeying God and exacting His judgment on Him. It's obeying God by loving your neighbor. Your your motives, your objectives should be to restore the person into a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people and to help this person grow in in the maturity of their faith if that is not your motive, you need to stop immediately. If you're going to be God's right hand of judgment and whack them out of their seat and get get them out of your group, get them out of the church, you've got the wrong motives. Your goal is not to embarrass or to ridicule a person, nor is it to prove yourself right and to prove them wrong. Your goal isn't to give the other person a piece of your mind or to put him or her in their place or to just get it off your chest. Well, you know what I feel about that? I just got to get this off my chest. All right, you need to take a pill of patience. Check your self-righteousness at the door. If those are your goals and if you take deep pleasure in. Exacting judgment, your objectives and your motives are wrong. Wrong. Next is this Do you have the right wording? Do you have the right wording? In Matthew 18, Matthew 18, just turn there real quick. Matthew 18. Starting at verse fifteen. If your brother, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. If, if you look at the word right there, it says that we are to, it says right here that we are to tell him his fault. Some of you are going good i'll tell them their fault but the greek word is is this word that it's more like reprove or or to bring about it's kind of this legal word that uh you would use in a court where by your words you are trying to convince the court or this person That they are stepping outside of God's word. And a lawyer is very wise. Sometimes we we think that they're kind of twisted. And that they're, you know, especially those defense folks. You know, we look at them and go, Ooh, you're defending a criminal. But their words that they use, they think through how do I how do I use my words wisely so that I can restore them back to a right relationship with God and restore them so that they have a right relationship with one another. It's about convincing and using words correctly and wisely. Just remember, the ultimate goal is about restoration. Restoration. The next one is, is it... God's time for me to go? Is it God's time for me to go? Here's an example. When David sinned with Bathsheba, God waited about a year and then sent Nathan. Before that, David probably would not have listened. We all think that as as we read scripture, it's like uh, David had committed a adultery with Bathsheba and immediately God sent Nathan but if you read it carefully there was a period of time that took place about a year that took place and as it was David was absolutely miserable with himself in guilt he was miserable he was so ready for God's way out. If you look at Psalm 38 or Psalm 51, these are, these are his psalms of lament as he is just crying out to God. So you've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and say, God, what is your timing in in this ministry of correction? How do I, is now the time, God? Am I praying through this? Am I, Is my heart ready to go to them yet? No, my heart is still angry. My heart is still this. Ah, okay. God, I'm I'm not going to go until I'm right. And God, when when your time is right for me to go to them, when you've done your work in their heart, in their lives, as they're dealing with this thing, when, when the time is right, God, then I will go. It's usually not God's time for you to correct someone if you haven't spent time praying about it. And I'm not talking about a dinner time prayer. I'm talking about extended time in prayer. The other one that we need to look at is, am I prepared to risk objection, rejection, and attack? Even when you follow all these preliminary steps, you've prayed and you've been faithful, you've been listening you, you've chosen your words very, very carefully. A person will often be defensive and angry. Many times, the person will be respond by criticizing or attacking you. If and if you lose your cool and attack this person, whether in public or private, you have lost your ability correct biblically biblically you have got to be absolutely careful but you've also got to be ready for the risk of rejection and attack so what what are some the procedures now be as private as the wrong be as private as the wrong. If it's a private matter, don't correct this person in front of other people. Don't take someone with you uh, at first if it's strictly a personal matter, Matthew 18. First, you are to approach the person and have a conversation, a loving conversation, gone through all these things. And if it still doesn't work, then the scripture says, to bring another along. Some matters require public confrontation. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul confronted Peter in the presence of all. Public confrontation. It was a matter of public life affecting many people so Paul dealt with it publicly as a church I, I pray that we don't have to get to this point ever I hope that is the absolute last resort of addressing the sin that has affected many but yet there is a place for public addressing if there is gossip that is running rampant throughout the church, what will I do? Address it publicly. If there is divisiveness that is going on behind the scenes and all of a sudden it comes to the the elder's attention, what do we do? Well, first we're going to address that person. But if it has run throughout the whole body, we are called to address it publicly. And that is where people really squirm. But that's the call of a, of a leader, of an elder, of a pastor. The next one, next procedure, is be wise and, and very cautious. A lot of times in these situations, it's easily to, easy to get pulled into the vortex of sin yourself easy to get pulled in so be wise and and cautious Timothy is told to deal with younger women as sisters in all purity he's saying you're a young man be careful dealing with this this ministry of correction do it in all purity do it wisely Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, looking to yourselves lest you be tempted. You be careful. Look at yourself. Examine yourself. Or else you are going to be pulled in as well. If you don't want to fall over the cliff, don't get close to the edge. And the same is true with this. Be wise and cautious. The next is, next procedure is to be direct and open. Don't beat around the bush. So, and we kind of have all these niceties, niceties, and we kind of talk-ish, around-ish, the subject-ish. And we never really get there, but we think they got the idea, you know? It, it, we're called to be direct. We are called to go to the person, not behind the person's back and talk about the problem, or your convictions, about all these other things with all these other people. You need to be direct. Direct. And talk about the problem. Talk about the issues. Talk about your convictions. Anything else is immaturity. Also, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul confronted Peter face to face. He didn't bring up the problem when Peter was not there and tried to build support from his viewpoint. He didn't go around and say, hey, are you on board with me? What about you? You on board with me? Because I'm going to go to him pretty soon, and I'm going to talk to him about this. So are you guys all on board with me? Because I, I'm going to bring up this issue about how he has sinned or he's in error. So are you guys with me? Because I... I Pretty soon, I'm going to need. All hell's going to break loose. What is that? That's the sin of being divisive. The Church of Jesus Christ. Don't be, be direct, be open. Next one be humble. And not judgmental. You are a fellow, fellow sinner. The next time, you may be the one needing correction. You're a fellow sinner. So go in all humility, with all understanding. You do not attack the person try to help the person attack the problem. 5 Be gentle but firm. First Timothy five, 1 Timothy 5:1 says do not First Timothy five, 1 Timothy says do not sharply rebuke Do not sharply rebuke. <laughs> the, the word, basically, here when you look at uh, five verse, well, that's, sorry, that's Second Timothy. Do not rebuke an older man. Other versions talk about sharply rebuke. It's basically the words words that strike. Do not use words that just slap people upside, upside their head. Do not sharply rebuke an older man or an older woman or a brother or sister. Appeal to them. The word is translated exhort them. It basically means to come alongside them. Parakaleo. To come alongside. To call alongside. It's a picture of a what? A friendship. A love. Brother to brother. Sister to sister. Brother to sister. It's this I'm, I'm going to come alongside you in, in this conversation. Correcting or giving counsel is the same as teaching, except it's done personally. And it's to help people to see how Scripture applies to this situation. Don't blast people. Even if you have that feeling inside you that I have this ministry of correction and I need to correct them, sometimes we get that because I'm so deeply hurt or bruised or angered of what you've done or said or feel or think. But we are also don't let the person rationalize or minimize his sin or shift the blame. Be gentle but firm. Number six. Be able to point this person be able to point him or her to God's Word and to the necessary steps towards restoration this is the hard one because it requires you to be what in God's Word and here's the thing there are many issues within Scripture that are non-essentials and just seem to be unclear, even though you might feel you have an absolute firm grasp on this or that. And you need to come to them with, with Scripture and say, appeal to them and say, listen, I, let, let's, let's look at this, let's look at this, let's look at this. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And, and, and with the aim of restoration and walk through God's Word. Walk through it. Not as your tool to lop off their head, but to restore them. Encourage them to mature in their faith and their understanding of Scripture. God's Word is a common source of authority for God's people. and Therefore, we need to be Word-centric. Everything from God's word informs how we work. Last, last procedure Be persistent if necessary. Once may not be enough. Once may not be enough. And you don't give up if the person doesn't respond immediately. It doesn't mean that you set up a coffee with them. If they don't get it on Monday, you don't set up a coffee date for them on Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday and then Friday and then Saturday and Sunday until you badger them into submission. You bring it up. Lovingly correct them. Maybe they react and they get angry. Maybe that's the Spirit working within them. Convicting them of sin. And they don't know how to deal with it. So what do you do? Pray you Pray for your ministry, that your heart is right, your life is a great example, that you lovingly have the right motives to do this. And then, and a time again, when the Spirit lays it on your heart, you come back again. Paul even talks with, uh, with the, uh, the elders about for, for night and day for three years, Three years. We're very quickly just to do the write-off immediately, aren't we? You don't respond? I'm done. Thank you very much. Persistence, if necessary. There's also some issues, The secondary issues that, you know what? there 's a point that a judgment call has got to be made that 's a difficult thing for pastors and elders and deacons where we finally have to say, you know what this this is this these are the convictions we we believe in in baptism, baptizing children and adults you know these are the convictions, and you know what you, you can keep coming to me you can keep we can keep talking about this we can keep uh, you keep presenting this and you keep presenting this and you keep Ultimately, at the end of the day, it is the shepherds who have got to make a call and say, you know what? As much as discussion is good, it's creating confusion. The sheep don't know where to go. At the end of the day, we are being faithful and following Christ. Discussion is done. If it's church government, if it's baptism... If it's end times, good Lord, if you, if you think that you've got your end times all down and that's going to be a, a primary issue, God bless you, your church is going to be small because we don't know when He's coming back or the exact manner. But these are, these are issues that we wrestle with. God, what is it? How do we do this? Ultimately, just to wrap this up, we do, this, we do this ministry. We do this ministry of correction because God has called us to do it. It is, it is a ministry of love. And if we don't do it, we're not being loving. And some of you may not have an immediate occasion to apply this, but you will soon. If you don't, it's because your head is buried in the sand and you... That's a whole other issue to address. But you will soon. And if you're committed to this ministry of building people as God wants you to be, others will, other situations will come and other people will come. And we'll have this beautiful thing going on. And I encourage you to obey the Lord in this manner, obey Him. James 5 says this, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As we come to the Lord's table, this is a, a table that we come to in unity. that we come to in unity. And some of us maybe need to examine our hearts over the past week, over the past month, over the past year, of how do we view each other? Is it hostile? Is it out of a sense of self-righteousness? Combative? A holier-than-thou? How do we come to the table where we find ourselves in Christ? And he, he wants us to be one. as He is one in the Father. How do we do that? Some of it is, honestly, and we've talked about this before, and we've done this before, is maybe we need to confess our sins to one another. Our, our sins of whatever it is. Of gossip. Slander divisiveness, immorality, lust, greed, did I put anger in there yet, slothfulness, and maybe we need to confess our sins before we go up there, you know, maybe you've got an issue with Amanda, or maybe Amanda has an issue with someone else, just, hey, in good conscience, before I go up there and do this. I I need to have a word with you. Because I love you. And I I have these feelings in my heart. I need to be honest. And I want to be restored in relationship with you. I want to trust you. I want to care for you. I want to love you. And you want to love me. How do we do this? How do we work through these things? It is an essential ministry for the entire family, the household of faith. We love one another so much that we're willing to correct one another. Let me pray.